0: the Sabbath day is woven into that divine calendar. The Sabbath was first instituted at creation. It is part of the creation of the world. It is part of the fabric of life for all of us. And this calendar that the Lord has given to us is instructive. The Sabbath day teaches us that life is not some aimless, meandering existence. The Bible does not teach, was it the Lion King, the circle of life? That's that's not the theology of the Bible. God teaches us that history is going somewhere. And this led Gerhardus Voss to write that first and foremost, the Sabbath is an expression of the eschatological principle on which the life of humanity has been constructed. What he was saying there is that the Sabbath day in and of itself teaches us that history is going somewhere. That it has an end point, the the great last day where we will be brought into glory. And built into this calendar that the Lord has made for us is a wonderful declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want us to consider the relationship between the seventh-day Sabbath in the Old Covenant and now the New Covenant, first day of the week Sabbath. Let me read that section from 21.7 uh, again, which says of the Sabbath day that from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in the scripture is called the Lord's day and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. So I want us to think briefly about why did the day change? Um, Why does it matter to us, and how does that change point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ? So I want us to begin by thinking about the seventh-day Sabbath, creation, and covenant. So the seventh-day creation and covenant. Uh, When we begin to think about the old covenant, seventh-day Sabbath, what we need to notice is that that Seventh-day Sabbath institution was a pre-fall, in other words, before sin. It was a pre-fall institution, and it was connected to the covenant of works. That initial covenant that God entered into with Adam in the garden. And Adam's rhythm of life was to be six days of work, followed by a day of rest. And again, uh, Gerhardus Foss commenting, he, he says the covenant of works was nothing but an embodiment of the sabbatical principle. In other words, if Adam had obeyed the, the covenant and completed the work that God had set before him, if he would have worked in obedience, then he would have entered some kind of rest and so that work rest pattern embodied the covenant of works but after adam sinned the covenant work covenant of works became an impossible means to reward for any mere man no mere sinful man could ever again keep the covenant of works and yet that covenant, a covenant of works, remains in force. In other words, someone still had to keep it as our representative. Someone had to complete the work so we could rest. And it is striking that that pre-fall covenant of works, work-then-rest pattern, that that continued throughout the Old Covenant era. Now let me be clear, that does not mean that the Old Covenant was a covenant of works. It was part of the covenant of grace. But God let that pattern remain so that the Old Covenant Sabbath would maintain a, a typological significance, a foreshadowing significance. It pointed God's people to something future. If you were an Old Testament believer, the very pattern of your week pointed you to your need for a Savior. You lived your life in in a work-rest pattern and it, it reminded you that you could not achieve that rest upon your own that you would have to look to someone else who would do it. It, it. it caused them to look to the Savior who who would work so that his people could enjoy the rest of heaven. And so we could think of it this way. the very rhythm of life for the Old Testament saints pointed to their need for the Messiah, who would come, who would keep the covenant of works, and then enter into his rest so that his people could then enter into his rest on the basis of his work. And that is why in the New Covenant, when Christ finished his work and he conquered the grave, the new calendar that we live by is no longer work than rest. But our pattern is on the first day of the week, we rest And then we go to work. And again, I'm I'm vossing you you to death today, but uh, again, Gerhardus Voss commenting on this uh, New Covenant rest uh, work pattern. He said, we therefore first celebrate the rest procured by Christ. Although the Sabbath still remains a sign pointing forward, To the final eschatological rest. The Old Testament saints had to observe that that work then rest pattern in order to typify and point to Christ. So they had that work rest pattern to live by, but we now have no such function to perform. Because Christ fulfilled those types. He procured that rest by the finished work on the cross. And it's interesting. If you read the Genesis account, you you hear that that refrain. There was morning and evening the first day. There was morning and evening the second day. Have you ever noticed with the seventh day? God does not mention anything about morning and evening, and theologians throughout history have noted how that never-ending day is a picture to us of the eternal rest that awaits us, the eternal rest that awaits us in Christ, And, and that's what Voss means by the even the new covenant Sabbath still having this eschatological focus. In other words, it's pointing us to our eternal rest in heaven. So that's seventh day creation and covenant. But secondly, I want us to think about the first day and its relation to the eighth day. And we read from John 20 and. Uh, in the, even in the other Gospels, the, the writers note that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Uh, John underlines it for us repeatedly, and uh, I think I quoted one theologian to you before who said of the Gospel of John especially, the chronological is theological. In other words, John's repetition of the fact that it was the first day of the week is very significant. And that first day of the week referenced by John would have made his Jewish readers think of the Old Testament annual feast and specifically the eighth day celebrations that happened on those feasts. Um, John, in his gospel, has a special interest in the Jewish Feasts, what, what, what happened at those feasts? What, what did Jesus do? What did he say? Uh, we, we, get, uh, we get accounts of Jesus at the Feast of, of Weeks or Pentecost, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover. And some of those feasts were concluded by what was called a great day, which was a, a final celebration day for example in john seven thirty seven Jesus is at the feast of of Tabernacles or the Feast of booths. This is what we we read about in leviticus uh, twenty three and here's what John says on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and shouted, "If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink." So Jesus saved this climactic gospel call for the last day, the great day of the feast. And what is often overlooked is that these great days, these last days of the feast, took place on the eighth day of the feast, which would make it the first day of the week. And so that means when we Look, even back in the Old Testament, we see how the Lord prepared his people to expect this. Uh, there, There were first day of the week Sabbath celebrations in the Old Testament. Again, Leviticus 23, the Feast of Tabernacles. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall hold a holy convocation... And present a food offering to the Lord is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. The Old Testament saints at times had a Sabbath day on the first day of the week during these feasts. These were first day of the week Sabbaths. Uh, think about Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. It was Fifty days from the Passover. you Do the math. Seven weeks plus one day would put you where? On the first day of the week. So Pentecost concluded with a first day of the week Sabbath. And and it's no coincidence that's when the Holy Spirit was poured out in, in the book of Acts. And the point I want us to understand is that the Lord prepared his people, and he, he and He prepares us and this reminds us of our need to think, think biblically as we look at the Bible and see it as a whole that God prepared his people for a day when we would worship on the first day of the week to reflect the finished work of Christ. And that's I would argue what John is doing in his gospel. He's showing us that the fulfillment of all of these things is Christ and that the first day of the week from from the resurrection of Christ until he comes again will continue to be the day on which people gather to worship, the day in which the risen Christ comes and shows himself to his people. Just like he did to the disciples on that first, first day of the week. He still is coming, standing among us, saying, peace be with you. Showing us his hands and his side, reminding us what he has done for us in his cross. This is the day that he comes to us and we are with him in worship. But finally, and more briefly, let's think about the first day inaugurated. And, you know, the. Trying to figure out how I had to. My Hebrew professor was. Uh, he's a Westerner, um, a, very much a Western Westerner, and he's a Pittsburgher. But he did all of his schooling at um, Jewish Eastern institutions, and he would always talk about how we, we think like Westerners and not like Easterners. In other words, when we look at the Bible, we want we want some specific verse to say, no longer do we have a Sabbath on the seventh day, but now we have a Sabbath on the first day of the week. We, we want those explicit black and white commands, and yet our, our God is much more creative than that. God prepared his people for a time when weekly worship and weekly rest would no longer come on the seventh day, but the first day. And I'm not, I'm not going to give you another Voss quote. Let me, uh, let me quote from a guy named Shane Lems. He said this, he said, The first Adam worked towards rest in the covenant of works. The last Adam worked so that we can have rest in the covenant of grace. God's people got a new calendar after the great redemptive event of the Exodus in the old covenant. So now God's people have a new calendar after the great redemptive work in the new covenant, Christ's death and resurrection. Now Christians rest on the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection. And the point that I, I want to make here is that although there's no specific verse that says, well, okay, now the day changed, it is clear when we read the New Testament that everyone seemed to understand that this was the case. Because on the first day of the week, we see Jesus rose from the dead, and that fact should be enough for us to embrace the change of the seventh day uh, to the first day. Uh, in, in John 20, we read Jesus appeared to his people. He, he revealed himself to them. He blessed them with his peace. He ministered to them in their unbelief on the first day of the week. Mark sixteen nineteen, we know Jesus ascended into heaven on the first day of the week. He took his seat and that means all those prophecies of Jesus reigning. 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 2, Psalm 110 met their fulfillment on the first day of the week. Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on his church on the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 2, we see Jesus doing what he promised. He said, I'm going to go away but I'm going to send the Comforter, the Helper. And that's what he did. He sent his Spirit to empower and bless his church, and he did that on the first day of the week. And related to that, we read the book of Acts, and we see how he blessed his means of grace on the first day of the week. We read of Peter's sermon in Acts 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. That's, that's a reference to preaching, sacraments, and prayer. Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, he prolonged his speech until midnight. And that means, if we come back to the question I posed to you in the call to worship, in Psalm 2, when Jesus tells us what his Father said to him, Today I have begotten you. Today I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. What day is that? It's the Lord's Day. I think we read that word begotten and we tend to think of birth when that word can mean bring forth. In other words, that day that the Father begot his Son was the day that he was raised from the dead. There's much more to say on this, but I think the great practical value to us is that the Lord has structured our time in a way that communicates the reality of the gospel to us. It reminds us that our eternal rest has been secured by the all-sufficient work of the second Adam, the one who came and obeyed the covenant of works, who, who died for people like us, who broke that covenant, and now because he worked perfectly, we rest in him. The gospel truth is that we rest, and then we work. Our good works follow our resting in Christ. We obey not to earn eternal life. We we obey not to be right with God, but we obey because we already have the gift of eternal life. We obey because we already are right with God by the work of His Son. And so this first day of the week and even for our Old Testament brothers and sisters, this calendar points us to the finished work of Jesus Christ, the one who is himself our rest. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you Lord, that he came as the second Adam. That he worked perfectly so that we could rest. That he paid the penalty for our sin fully that we might rest in him. Lord, we pray that you make us more mindful than we are of the calendar that you have set down for us. A calendar that reminds us of your glorious gospel of grace and the all-sufficient, all-powerful, finished work of Jesus, our Savior. We pray these things in his great name. Amen.